Hi guys! I'm so happy to be here with you again and I'm feeling a lot better now. I recently just got over like a sinus infection so it's been really good to like rest and make sure I eat lots of soup and pho. I love pho so much and I need you guys to tell me if you're like team pho or team ramen because I feel like some people are like die hard one or the other some people are like both but I honestly anything with like a soup or like a broth it's an instant yes in my book and so I hope you guys have been having a good week today is Thursday which is like to me, it's kind of meh, but it's also like, okay, we're almost till Friday. Just got to keep it going. So, yeah, I love Fridays. And um, I have a lot in store for us tonight. Um, I definitely have had a lot of things on my mind and have been seeing a lot of things I just think would be really funny to talk about. Before we start, you know, I have to take a hit of my bong. And I don't know if you guys saw on my Instagram page, but I recently just got a gravity bong. So I'm really excited. I've been loving playing with that. And I spray painted it pink and purple ombre. It just looks so good. Whenever I smoke, it's always so soothing because it's just a good excuse to take, like, deep and meditative breaths and also get high at the same time. I like it. It's such a simple act of mindfulness for me. I'm also drinking... This is probably the best smoothie I've ever had. It's apple, mango, ginger, and sea moss. It's just so good. And like, sea moss is kind of like win or lose for me. Because some things that have sea moss, like, I don't know if that's just the texture or if the things that I've had, they're not, like, blending it correctly. But the texture is just always, like, too, like, chunky and, like, uneven for me. But this Seamoss smoothie that I just had has reformed my entire beliefs because it's so creamy and so smooth. And the mango, I feel like, really helps because, like, a lot of times people add Seamoss to things, like... I guess you wouldn't necessarily think would be thick and then you drink it and it is and it's just like gross to me. But mango smoothies or mango juice or mango anything, they're always like super thick and smooth. So it helps that that's one of the flavors. So before we get started, the first thing I wanted to mention to you guys that I just feel like is so funny. So, I saw this tweet. Here it is. Ethics report. George Santos campaign. He used the campaign funds to pay for OnlyFans, Botox, and Sephora. It says, on October 21st, 2022... Redstone's bank account received a 25000 wire from an affiliated contributor to the Santos campaign. From there, 25000 was transferred from Redstone's account into Santos' personal account. And then the funds were used, among many other things, to pay down personal credit card bills and other debt. Honestly, I would have done the same thing. Make a $4,127 to Hermes and for smaller purchases at OnlyFans, Sephora, and for meals and parking. That is so hilarious. And so, 
they're still investigating this and I guess deciding if it's like allowed or ethical or not but the only thing I have to say is honestly he should and he did what he needed to do so the first thing I wrote down in my journal to talk with you guys about is healing your inner child and this is honestly been like a lifelong journey for me especially since I'm about to turn 20 and I know that's kind of like the existentialist like what am I doing year and I know honestly every year feels like the existentialist what am I doing year but I feel like when a person turns 20 it really starts to hit you and you're just kind of like well, what the fuck am I actually doing here? And so some of the things I do to heal my inner child are honestly just going for things like off my first instinct, like shows and clothes and movies and decor, pretty much anything. And healing your inner child doesn't necessarily mean for me to like gravitate towards childlike things but I know for some people it can I just honestly feel like the more I healed my inner child the more I was able to progress into like more adult-like decor and purchases and it has really changed the way that I like interact with people and myself and the world around me and it's hard because, like, when <clears throat> when things are happening that are, like, causing, like, stress in your life, it's hard for me to remember in that moment to, like, talk to my inner child and, like, feel where she's at. And that could mean anything, like, whether she's sad or angry or scared I'm honestly just feeling that in the moment and I try to comfort her with wise adult words. And so it's healing anything I feel like is hard because healing itself is not really like a linear journey at all. And to me, healing your inner child pretty much means just creating like a completely safe space for yourself whether that's like physically or mentally or at all you honestly just have to try to create those spaces for yourself that you wished would have been like created for you and the healing child journey is honestly really complex because there's no like guideline on how to heal your specific inner child but I did find this article that I feel like really helped me so the article pretty much says that number one is first acknowledge your inner child then listen to what your inner child has to say and then you bring back the joys of childhood and meditate and journal and pretty much just get back in touch with like yourself and what you want and what types of things have like traumatized you or caused you emotional pain and so another thing I feel like that has been a huge issue for me in healing my inner child is honestly people pleasing because I used to people please so hard and I feel like I guess I felt like at the time I wanted everything to be perfect and wanted everyone to like me and never wanted any conflict or anyone to be mad at me ever and I didn't really consider at the time that like two people can have different interpretations of the same event and both of them be 
right because it's your own interpretation. And so I thought that healing your inner child and people pleasing would pretty much mean that I have to like please everyone around me I guess as a means to not trigger myself because people pleasing comes from like wanting it comes from a lack of control like in your life and wanting to gain more control over your life by everything going right and everyone being nice to you and so it honestly took me a really long time to like break that habit but I want to share this like reddit post with you guys that really helped me at the time it's like five years old but it says practices that helped me stop being a people pleaser if you spend your whole life pleasing others you spend your life looking back on my life I came to realize that I spent quite a high amount of my precious time trying trying to be perfect trying to be appreciated and liked by everyone else around me trying to fit into different groups of people so that I could feel accepted and approved of. I recall many situations in my life when I did not do things that I really wanted to do and I did them in order to comfort or please others. I was a master of people pleasing and to be honest, it wasn't always because I wanted to make everyone happy. The truth is that I wanted people to like me. I expected them to give me the things I wasn't giving myself. Love, care, attention, etc. People pleasing is an unhealthy behavior and it's a clear sign of low self-esteem. It is disempowering, inauthentic, and extremely time and energy consuming. Wait guys, I need a drink. Okay, so here are five simple practices that helped me stop becoming a people pleaser. Number one, allow myself to be me. If you're doing things you don't want to do, hoping those things will strengthen your relationships, you are working against yourself because it's driven by magical thinking and it's not based in reality. Authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. Number two, detach from others' opinions of me. Pathologically seeking validation from others turns us into their prisoners. In reality, we really can't control what other people feel or think, but we are in charge of our own actions, feelings, and thoughts. When I know what other people think of me does not define me, I set myself free from any judgment. What they see in me is their opinion and it's all about their values or standards of those things and it has nothing to do with me. And then it says, this is like the quote that she puts at the end of every like bullet point. This one says, when I seek your approval, I don't approve of the me that's seeking the approval. (laughs) That's so real. Number three, set healthy boundaries with the outer world. One of the most challenging things I had to learn was how to say no to the things I didn't really want to do without seeming selfish, guilty, or overly worried that I might hurt or upset someone else. I struggled with this in my personal relationships, but not only in this area of my life. This was a challenge at work as well, whether I was saying yes to tasks that were not part of my job or volunteering to take on new projects when I already had a lot on my plate. But one day I decided to speak up for myself and see what happened. Surprisingly, everything was just fine when I started telling people what I needed. To me, setting healthy boundaries was a learned practice, and here's where I am today. Saying no doesn't mean I dislike or reject the other person. I say yes to the person and no to the task. In reality, I know I can't disappoint anyone. People disappoint themselves with the expectations that they set for whom they want me to be and what they expect me to do. It's always their story. If they truly loved me, they would understand. We teach people how to treat us by deciding what we will and won't accept. I cease letting anyone take advantage of me. I am not a doormat and it is not my responsibility to entertain other people and make them happy. Whenever I offer people time, I give them a piece of my life. 
Today, I spend my precious time with people who bring out the best in me and support me and accept me just the way I am. Relationships which we need to pretend are toxic. If I don't feel at ease with people, I don't change myself. I change the people. Wow, that's really wise words. So number four is assertive communication. Often cases I find it extremely difficult to say no only because I didn't know how to express myself with clarity and confidence, fearing that I would sound aggressive or impolite. I learned to say no with grace. And then she pretty much like lists a bunch of bullet points of examples of how to say no to people. I was going to like leave this part out because it's pretty much different ways to say the same thing, but I'm for the girlies, so I will include every example of these things because I know I used to struggle with them in the past and someone probably needs to hear these specific phrases. So the first one says, it doesn't work for me right now. I'm not able to make it this time. Sorry. I've got too much on my plate right now. Thank you for thinking of me. I'm sorry. I can't at this time. It's too bad. I'm busy, but please let me know how it turns out. Perhaps another time. Let me know what next week looks like for you. No, thank you, but it sounds lovely. And so then she pretty much says, when you say yes to others, make sure you're not saying no to yourself too. Number five says, become my own best friend. For my happiness, I am in charge. I stop expecting others to make me happy and to fulfill my needs and desires. I've made myself a priority in my own life. I engage in activities that bring me joy. I do more things for my heart and soul. And this way I I create happiness from the inside out instead of chasing it through other people. It is not someone else's responsibility to make me feel valued, loved, cherished, whole, and complete. It's mine. Loving ourselves as a whole, mind, body, and soul is not selfish. It's necessary. Being loved is a human need. However, being needy is something different. I came to understand that people who are taking good care of themselves are less dependent on the approval of others. When I pay attention to my self-talk, I eliminate disempowering words or thoughts from my repertoire. I am stupid. I'm too fat. I'm too ugly. I'm not good enough. She says she treats herself with dignity and respect. I talk to myself kindly. I don't call myself names. I acknowledge myself for my achievements, for my willingness to learn and grow. This way, my cup of self-love is always full and external praise comes as a bonus. I practice embracing praise. I take compliments gracefully instead of putting myself down and I'm unworthy of such as if I'm unworthy of such a celebration. I enjoy when people compliment me, but I'm not dependent on them to make me feel good about myself. Then this quote says, it's not your job to like me, it's mine. Just think from this perspective, out of everyone you know in the world, the only person that is always present in your life, non-negotiable, day and night, is you. So if you don't like being all by yourself, at least from time to time, you might need to work on the most important relationship you'll ever get in life, the one with yourself. To some people, the need to be alone could also be a personality issue, as introverted persons want to change their want to charge their batteries from the inside out and don't always need to be surrounded by people. Meanwhile, I've met very extroverted people who suddenly didn't need to spend so much of their time with others and started focusing more on themselves. Being liked and included and feeling a sense of belonging to a community are basic human needs. And humans are very social animals. However, many people use others as a diverting tool that helps them run from themselves. I've been there as well as in the past, spending time with others to feel seen or included or keeping the TV switch on all day in my home, even if I wasn't watching. In reality, I was using that noise to run away from my own thoughts and emotions. When we have a harmonic relationship with ourselves, we no longer look to other people to feel holes in our self-esteem. We need people, but we aren't emotionally needy. There's a big difference between the two. So that article has gotten me through like some very tough times. And especially when like when you're growing up and coming to adulthood, 
you're pretty much rewriting your narrative and changing your mind about the things that were taught to you and part of trying to like build a healthy life from scratch pretty much is that sometimes we do need guides on what specifically to say or do or feel because emotions are freaking confusing and another thing that helped me is honestly taking the time to slow down and sit with my emotions and really ask myself why like why do I want to people please why do I want this person to like me what am I running from how does this make me feel is that why I'm running from it and I pretty much just try to ask those questions and nine times out of ten it'll take you to the root of your issue another thing that I like to do is like journal what I would text like a friend or something and then read it out loud and think of like what I would say to a friend if they were feeling this stuff and so I know it's really hard to like oh my gosh sorry guys (laughs) I hope I don't have a weird sneeze but I understand it's hard to, like, take yourself out of your own shoes, especially during, like, an emotionally intense situation, but part of the way I live, like, harmonically with my emotions is to understand that, like, although my emotions are, like, a part of me, they're also separate from, like, my heart and body and brain And sometimes I have to, like, stand side by side with my, like, logic and emotions and meet myself where I'm at and try to, like, I don't know, just kind of hold space and be as compassionate as I can and only surround myself with people who are also being compassionate to me. And then a lot of times just pausing and taking that time to be gentle with yourself will literally bring you like so much emotional clarity and I've gotten to the point now to where like I don't like speak or act without thinking deeply on every single thing that I do and it really helps to live a more like intentional and authentic life And I've honestly noticed that, like, the more I, like, progress on, like, my journey of trying to create a life that I want to live, that I'm proud of, and, like, healing my childhood wounds, the more authentically I try to live, I notice that it gets lonelier and lonelier. And that's not necessarily, like, a bad thing. It's just, like, it's so crazy how many people you weed out when you start, like, standing up for yourself or only being surrounded by things that are intentional or only doing things that are intentional. And I used to not know how to, like, I guess, be confident in my feelings, even if I'm, like, the only person in, like, the room or, like, the conversation or, like, even the world who feels that way because it took a while for me to understand the concept of, like, there's a base level of validity to, like, any concern or problem that I have and understanding, like, the value of my own feelings and own words to myself has made me understand how to be confident in, like, my feelings and words to others. But I hope, like, I hope this advice helps somebody. And if you're still, like, a people-pleasing person, there is hope. And you can always, like, 
take charge of your life or situation and change it anytime you want to. It just takes like daily practice and I feel like it takes enough like motivation and self-esteem to like pretty much stand up for yourself and create the type of life that you want to live like you deserve to live a healthy happy life everyone does and so with that being said I know I probably sound like super existentialist right now but I'm probably only getting existential because my birthday is coming up I'm really excited um I'm really excited to be 22 I I love growing older and wiser and I'm glad that like I get to live another year and experience more things and love and grow as a person. It's just like the more I've been practicing gratitude in my life, the more I've started to realize just how much we have to be grateful for every day. And it really helps with like abundance to just notice things in the world and be grateful for the little things and it'll make the big things that you're grateful for even better and so I'm really excited um to go to Chicago this year because I've never been before and I feel like it would be a good way to kind of like microdose the big city I definitely want to try a Chicago deep dish pizza. I want someone to yell at me, like, walking too slowly across a crosswalk. And I'm excited to really just look at, like, the architecture and, like, the city and the air quality and the community. Literally just everything. And the Airbnb that I booked for my birthday has, like... A private hot tub so you better believe I'm going to like roll myself a little joint and like skinny dip for a dip in like the hot tub during like the cold like 40 degree weather outside it just sounds so good and I'm so happy to like My birthday is kind of weird because, like, it's at the beginning of the year, but it's also at, like, the end of the year. Like, when the end of the year is coming, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, my birthday is coming up. But when the beginning of the year has, like, passed, I'm like, damn, like, now I have to wait, like, a whole nother year for my birthday. And so I'm really glad because, like, last year... Around my birthday, I released the episode 70 Degrees in December. So, I'm just hoping, like, I I don't necessarily want it to be cold because I'm not, like, a super big fan of cold weather. But I definitely don't want it to be, like, 70 degrees in December again because I hate global warming and, like, I wish the earth could just have, like, its natural seasons. But I'm really excited, and I'm really excited for Thanksgiving next week, too. I actually wrote down, like, a miniature list of my favorite Thanksgiving foods for you guys. So the first thing I'm reaching for is always the desserts. Call me crazy or call me a stoner, but, like, you can't pick the order in which I decide to have my meal like I'm not just eating like a whole plate of dessert at once but like I'm typically eyeballing like what's going on over there second thing I'm probably reaching for is definitely stuffing and cranberry sauce I'm like a sides girly so I really like like just assembling a meal out of like just sides so I'll have like especially being vegan you kind of like have to do that because like the main courses of like Thanksgiving food typically aren't vegan unless they like specifically put out vegan things for me and so I'm typically going for like 
stuffing, cranberry sauce, greens, mac and cheese. I've really been craving like jalapeno poppers for some reason, even though that's not a Thanksgiving food. I once went to this party where it was like a Friendsgiving party, but you could bring anything you wanted instead of like regular traditional Thanksgiving food. And it was fun because we still ended up with like all of the core things that like make Thanksgiving season Thanksgiving season, but with also a few like extra and mystery and fun things that honestly just made the meal a lot more fun. So the third thing I'm reaching for is probably the mac and cheese. Like I literally could just sit and eat a huge bowl of mac and cheese. I know I have the diet of like a 13 year old, but it's good. And there are so many different ways like you can eat it. You'd be surprised. And so I guess like with a Thanksgiving conversation, it's honestly just bringing up a lot of thoughts for me about like the end of the year coming up and like some of my favorite rituals or things to do before I like close out the year. So at the end of every year, um, I like to like save up all of my change like throughout the year and roll them into coins and cash them out. This is something from my childhood that my family used to do. And it amazed me how you could just save up all your coins for the year and then literally end up with like $500. It's like a like a fucking infinite money hack or something. And I honestly love like monotonous tasks like rolling coins is just really, really, really soothing for me. Like, you can do it while watching TV. It's kind of like, oh my gosh. It's kind of like crochet. Like, you can do that while doing almost anything, and it's something to do with your hands, and it's just soothing to me. And so, another one of my favorite rituals to close out the year is I honestly, I honestly like to do, like, a yearly check-in, like, acid trip and, like, think about, like, the world and my life and, like, invite any... Oh, hey, shrooms will work, too. Shrooms will work, too. I forgot to say that. But I pretty much, like, invite the universe to, like, tell me anything it feels like might be missing or anything that is like unresolved I like bring all my pain and traumas to the table meet them where they're at and then try to let it go and like it's honestly a good way to like check in with yourself because I'll normally journal like before and after like an acid or shrooms or like DMT trip just to kind of like have an idea of like where my mind is at and what things I specifically want to address or think about during this time. I also like to do a really, really good clean of like my house and like sage of my space before you go into the new year because like the end of the year is coming up this is the perfect time to like get rid of all that junk and let go of all that baggage of like these things that you don't need anymore or people that aren't really working for you or like all of these like thoughts and insecurities or things that just have been or things that you feel like have been like holding you back this year and like it's honestly a really regenerative practice for me because, like, especially with my birthday being, like, at the end and the beginning as the of the year, I feel like that's a good time to, like, let go of everything and, like, shed my skin and just start this next like cycle around the sun on a fresh start and uh, I honestly I try to like 
clean out everything and I think of the new year as kind of like a reset and like a preparing for everything that's to come in the new year and so speaking of like this time of year it's been really fun for me because I love just engaging in like seasonal eating and living and activities and so I've been like baking bread like drinking like cinnamon mocha tea daily it's just so good and then walking outside and like feeling all of the cold air and I don't know why but cold air always feels like a lot cleaner to me than warm air and I've been loving like just driving to work every day and like taking note of like how the seasons change daily and like how the air is changing and sky is changing and then you have to go on your honorary like leaf crunching fall walk and it's just been really good just acknowledging like all of the different seasons because some people live in places where like like California they don't really have all of the seasons they just have like two weathers like hot and cold but I guess I like living in a place where, like, there's a little more nuance to it. And if I live in a place that's not, like, giving me what I need for that season, I will travel to a place where that season is, like, hitting harder. I've been dying to, like, go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, like, during the time when the seasons are changing and stuff because they say that it's really, really beautiful to see, like, all of the mountains but with all of the different trees changing color so I'm definitely putting that on my bucket list for next year I try to take like I try to take like two vacations two to three vacations or like day trips a year to like kind of as like a healthy reset because I love to like travel and I really want to explore the world but until I can like explore the full world I'm just going to tackle that by traveling to places nearby and slowly going to places further and further away so I'm really excited like just for the new year and everything that's coming and I'm excited for Thanksgiving and to eat pecans and be around family and I need to mark it off my bucket list for me to try like once a year I try to make it a goal to try at least one pumpkin spice something like it doesn't matter what it is It could be, like, I've seen pumpkin spice cookies, pumpkin spice donuts, pumpkin spice latte, just something so I can say that, like, yeah, like, it's fall and I did that. (laughs) And so another thing I wanted to talk about with you guys is kind of, like, what it feels like to read, like, the horrors of Reddit. And I know you guys have probably been wanting another Reddit episode. I can't read your minds, but I kind of can. So I compiled a list of the horrors for us. Okay, let's see what we have here. So this first one says... My husband won't stop shushing me in bed, seeking advice. This is from the r slash marriage subreddit. My 40 female husband and 48 male of 14 years has developed a maddening habit and I keep asking him to stop, but he won't. He shushes me very loudly by going shh and putting his hand over my mouth every time we are in bed together and I start talking to him. Our marriage has been on the rocks with him choosing to sleep in our guest bedroom for the past two years. I hate that he doesn't sleep by me and I made that known. So he has slowly started coming back into our bedroom to hang out with me before he goes to bed in the guest room 
The cause of our problems is largely that I work full-time as an attorney and owner of my law firm to support the family, and my husband is a stay-at-home dad in charge of running the kids around to school and activities and taking care of the house. (coughs) Sorry, guys. This has been our arrangement for the past eight years. He is a fantastic father and loving husband, but unfortunately, the house is always unacceptably filthy. Okay, so basically she's saying that her husband can't do the only job that has been assigned to him. Let's continue. He freaks out when I start to clean it and he won't let me hire a cleaning service. He says it is because he because it makes him feel guilty. This is the cause of 90% of our marital problems and because I don't like feeling like he is a team player in our marriage and instead he expects me to tell him keep everything that he needs to do in order to keep the house clean. That doesn't make sense. It has been like this for eight years and I have been very patient, but I also have set some boundaries and told him I would have to leave the marriage if we can't figure out how to solve this issue because it is very draining and every last ounce of patience I have is gone. I love him dearly, but he has to start pulling more of his weight. I clean the house when he's sleeping and then he wakes up irritated that I cleaned, but I can't live like this in a dirty house. He agreed to go to therapy six months ago and goes once a week and we go to marriage counseling together every two weeks. He has been on antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds for a few years now, which seem to help some, but not enough. His obnoxious habit of shushing me started a few months ago, and I find it so incredibly annoying and condescending. I have told him this so many times. I am not the one to accept that kind of disrespect, so now when he does it, I simply ask him to leave the room. He pouts and stomps out of the room, and he never apologizes for doing it. And I've seems like this is some type of power play he's making to assert dominance over me or something. Has anyone ever had to deal with this? I am trying to make my marriage work, but I'm at the end of my rope with this disrespectful habit, and I've never done anything remotely similar to him. So... This is crazy to me because she's basically saying that her husband thinks that because he, I guess, can't get up off his ass and clean the house, that his wife and kids deserve to suffer and live in a dirty house and they're not allowed to clean it because it makes him feel guilty. What in the world is this, like, toxic mentality or behavior coming from and I guarantee honestly if I had to guess anything it sounds like it's coming from shame maybe he's like stuck in like that shame rage spiral and I know when people get like stuck in that cycle like it's kind of like you have to do a thing but can't be motivated to do said thing then you get so caught up in making yourself feel bad about like your lack of motivation and lack of doing the thing that then you start to feel guilty because why can't I do this thing for myself and why can't I be good enough but I also don't want anyone else to do it because I feel like I have to do it on my own and I've definitely seen this pattern before and Honestly, the only thing I have to say is we all need love and community and help and it really does take a village and it sucks because this person is pretty much saying that she takes the majority of like the financial and like physical weight in the relationship and that his job in their relationship is to take care of the kids and, like, watch the house, and he can't even give her that. I feel bad for her. Divorce him, queen. So, this next one says... Am I the asshole for telling my brother that his three-foot-long beard and hair is unprofessional? Okay. 
I work at a company in a position with some influence. My brother was looking for a job and I encouraged him to apply at my company. I wasn't a part of the process, but thankfully he was offered the position. The interview was conducted over a video call, so I know that the interview panel didn't really have a clear idea of how long my brother's hair and beard really is. Both his beard and hair are around waist level and are not particularly well kept. Most people who would see it would likely assume he is homeless or in a cult. He has looked like this for a couple years, and everyone we know, aside from him and his wife, think it's extremely disgusting and unkept. I've talked about this problem with him in the past, and he pretty much just says that it's his hair and he can do as he pleases with it. I mentioned it to him and his wife in the same conversation because he will do whatever she says and will not do whatever she says she commands every aspect of his life with an iron fist so if I didn't include her in the conversation she'd be even more pissed at me I have told my brother many times since getting the job that I am nervous for when we go to work and people will see how long and unkept his hair and beard are he keeps food particles in his beard and you can smell them when you are sitting next to him or see them in his beard when talking I have begged him that as a brother when you have your beard, will you at least comb or wash it sometimes? And his wife is adamant on defending his personal right to do as he pleases. And of course, I feel like you can do as you please, but not if it is rancid and horrible to look at for others, which it is in my opinion. I'm nervous about how it will seem at work when my brother gets hired and everyone will see how much of a slob he is. And I agree, long hair and long beard can look professional in a way, but the problem is far more about how he keeps his hair than how long it is. A long beard and hair requires skillful maintenance to look nice, but he just doesn't have that. And so if he doesn't have the skill to keep it nice, I feel like it would be easier to maintain gave it a little groom or chop before he got hired for the position. I did not say that he had to chop it all off, but I suggested that he at least cut off a little and trim it up. And there is a strict company policy at our job for workers to look clean and kept every day. And that includes having tidy facial hair and regular hair. And I am just a little concerned because when he was hired, it was a video call and they did not fully see his hair because it was in a ponytail and his beard extended far past the camera behind him. I'm nervous that HR will have to have a talk with him and how it will look on me when they finally do. Honestly, okay, I understand where this girl is coming from because she did get her brother the job, and I feel like that's, like, part of sibling rivalry. And so, like, you're always going to have a comment on, like, I guess, at least an idea on what your sibling is, like, saying and doing, especially if it's in a way that's, like, meant to represent you if you got him hired, but I feel like professional, like, wear and professional environments, like, come in a lot of different shapes and sizes, and if the company feels like his beard hair is too long, then it should just be up to them to take it up with him, and he will probably just think that you were right. I feel like she's kind of the asshole here, because, like, it's his beard and his body and like if that's his style to keep it extremely unkept and his wife is okay with that then I would just leave that up to them okay so this next one says am I wrong for feeling like people shouldn't jump into intercultural and interracial relationships willy-nilly 
I, 32 female, white American, have been with my man, first-gen American, with a family from Central America since 2012. We're best friends. He's my everything. I cannot imagine my life without him. That being said, our backgrounds are wildly different, and I am baffled by people who jump into interracial and intercultural relationships based on physical attraction alone without really having the hard conversations. I've met so many people in relationships who don't make the effort to learn the language of the other person who don't learn to cook the foods of the other person, who don't have the hard conversations about race relations or how having mixed culture children in the future will impact the kid in the relationship. These people don't talk about the cultural traumas that get carried and how those may influence the relationship. How does the mother-in-law feel about having their child having a different race or culture partner? Is this something that can be overcome in the family or will there always be contention? There isn't consideration of how do you merge holiday celebrations? How do the in-laws get along on both sides? How do you ensure one culture isn't abandoned for the other? Why don't people have these hard conversations before getting married? Why don't people talk about race, religion, beliefs, and challenges? It blows my mind and I cannot imagine why you would marry someone before getting all of that hard stuff tackled. So I have definitely been in this situation before, but I get what she means about like dating someone who's different in general is hard because like it takes a certain amount of empathy and understanding to like date someone who is, like, a different, separate individual than you and understand, like, their past and their traumas and feelings and emotions and take all of that into account as much as they would. And dating interculturally, I will say, is not for the weak because, like, I noticed that ever since, like, having, like, an interracial relationship, there are used to be like a lot of people who I guess had very strong opinions about me and like my culture and my life and like who I should date. I've been called like a race traitor before for dating like people outside of my race and I'm just like who are you (laughs) to decide like that what I'm doing and who I'm dating is like a bad thing to our entire race of people like I didn't know you represented the entire race with your beliefs but okay go off and so like I definitely know that when you're dating someone interracially there are a lot of good parts like you get to experience someone else's culture and date someone who's so different from you and you still connect in all of these ways but there are also a lot of like hard parts like this person said like how do your families interact with each other has this person suffered like some of the same racial struggles that you have And so, like, there have been a lot of times where I've tried to explain things to, like, I guess, like, concepts about, like, race and gender and poverty and stuff to my partners that they didn't really understand. And, like, I will say that if you decide to date someone outside of your culture, you definitely have to find someone who, like, is enthusiastic about it and is as enthusiastic as you are. And you definitely have to, like, make time and make space for those hard conversations and be willing to, like, sometimes explain things that they don't understand or, like, call out things that are racist that they might not even be able to tell that are racist. And eventually and hopefully they get really good at it and really sharp and you guys reach, like, a better understanding with each other as a unit. And, like, a lot of relationships are, like, They go through that rocky period where, like, you disagree on things or you make mistakes. And when you already have, like, 
I guess the difficulty of being in a relationship and being committed to another person and understanding them, you can pretty much tack on, like, the intercultural or, like, life differences between you guys, and it puts it on extra hard mode. And so, find someone who is as dedicated to understanding as you are dedicated to helping them understand And I will say that, like, dating interculturally is a very beautiful thing. And, like, how else do we expect to, like, expand our race and world and become more of, like, a melting pot other than, like, mixing races with other people? And I feel like when people, I guess, feel some type of way about people dating someone outside of, like, their culture or, like, race, part of that is rooted in, like, racism and, like, stereotypes and why I totally understand, like, as a minority to where, like, especially if you've had your livelihood and your reason for even, like, having your place at the world and, like, on this planet has been threatened, like, forever, who wouldn't want to, like, protect their culture and protect their people and, like, especially protect the ones that they love? But love is, like, one of the biggest risks, but it can also be one of the greatest rewards. And I know that it's easy to just, like, block everyone out of your culture because, like, there are so many aspects of our culture that are, like, sacred to us for sure, but there are also so many aspects worth being shared and, like, understood. And I would say it's far more rewarding sharing that with other people than it is, like, keeping it to myself and, like, feeling left out or disconnected because no one understands. And so, I I guess I didn't really understand what her question was asking, but I don't think she's wrong for feeling like people who date interculturally based off preference alone should, like, consider more. Because if you meet someone and they're attractive, like... Love isn't always enough. Attraction is never enough. And there's a lot more things that go into, like, building a life and a relationship than just that. So if you're liking someone who is, like, of another culture, there's definitely a lot of things to consider. And you have to brace yourself for more, like, problems and more hardship than a regular relationship but like I said with that hardship comes a greater and deeper understanding and appreciation for one another and each other's cultures for sure I have one more for you guys this one is insane It says, am I wrong to think my therapist may be breaching my privacy? I recently started therapy and it has been worth the time. My therapist frequently texts me asking how I've been. I feel it is normal for him to check on me because I have told him I've had anxiety. So it's assumed what he's doing is a part of his job. But this is where things started being suspicious for me. First, my therapist kept texting me for a few days to give him a five-star review on Google. I really wouldn't give him five stars because even though his service was good, he often kept boasting about how searching on Google for the best therapist here in this city would bring up his name at the top. I believe that being in the top of any profession isn't necessary. Just putting your heart in what you do will make you happy. So I gave four stars and posted a review, but he texted me again to make it five stars. Second, he always expects an immediate response from me every time he texts. I often tend to miss chats when I'm busy with some other things or I go out. This time I went to an audition on Sunday. He texted me how it went, but I didn't reply to any of his texts until the very next day itself as I had guests over and some work to do. He immediately texted asking, did you go out of town or something? Where's the reply? 
Third, but mainly, I recently changed my profile picture to a funny photo of Taylor Swift on my WhatsApp. I do not keep my own photo for my privacy, but I forgot to change my about. In that, I written, head feels heavy because of thoughts. Because I had taken my previous profile photo, that of a cat resting his head on a table, with the above text as a caption. My therapist proceeded to take a screenshot of it and then text me that along with the words saying, I am there, no need to worry, okay? For me, looking at my profile picture and status all to find clues come under a breach of my privacy. Even though my therapist has the right to know how I feel, using other means to understand my mental state according to me sounds like crossing my boundaries. So am I wrong to think my therapist is breaching my privacy or this is how therapists usually are? Should I try letting him know that he might be crossing the limit or something? I'm from India where health is still a stigma for us and people are only starting to accept it as an important part of life. So I'm guessing the therapist might be using this as an advantage to defend himself and his actions. He's the only person in the entire clinic. He just runs it from a small space. I went in there looking at the Google reviews and also because he's the only person near my home and I had to choose him because I was going without my parents' knowledge and I could lie to my parents and say I'm going for a walk and go out to visit him. So, this person says, edit, I have still not blocked him because I am yet to pay him for his services. Once I finish my pending payments with him, I will cut off all ties with him. At least he was considerate enough to allow me to pay when I have enough money. Most of the commenters here have insisted that I add a negative review and then I remembered more red flags about him. To understand, here are the links to his replies to negative reviews. Oh my god. Okay. So this review says, one star. I met him a few months back. He charged a huge sum of money. I sat there for like 45 minutes. And in that term, I had 45 minutes of depression. The smell that comes from his place and the way he is gloating about himself and submerged in self blank. And then it just cuts off. Um, the therapist has just replied saying, on seeing his Google review, oh my god, the therapist has replied saying, on seeing this person's Google reviews, he seems to be a regular visitor of T.S. Max shops. Having a psychosis or hypersomnia, a mental illness of allergen to smells. Anyhow, he's not in our visitors list and seems like a rival group's paid comment. Not a single person in our career go disappointed with our services and no one ever found fault in any ways. In fact, we have never demanded reviews from clients to avoid embarrassment of visible reaching to a psychology center. There are thousands of satisfied clients including top VIPs with a lot of regards to our center. However, we at least bothered to get 100 marks from different kinds of mindset that was never happened with any great doctors or scientists' lives and careers. No leaders or saints or gods have ever got 100% credentials from the whole world ever. These kinds of comments, in fact, do really good to me and save us from negative elements cannot enter, which guard us like the repulsive forte it is. Then it has two cool smiley face emojis, two lucky clovers, and two thumbs up. Thanks a lot for this comment. That is insane. Okay, here's another one. This says one star. I agree with this person's comment. I had biological depression. I went to him for treatment a year ago, but without without any counseling, he charged me $4,000 for me just for his self-praising. He may be suitable for anyone who has inferior complex and panic and confusion about themselves. Literally, he is cheating and looting the money for nothing. I request people who has any physical and mental illness that this is not the suitable place. He will show you all past year's records and reference for old patients. Just don't believe that. I can say he might do hypnosis and get patients past history. Other than that, nothing. For a single sitting... He's charging 
15k literally a waste of money he doesn't have any courtesy for this big amount of money i don't recommend people who really have serious issues or frustration in life better call the government helpline they're giving much better service than him this is insane so i i think those reviews are very funny and i would definitely say that this therapist is in the wrong because he's crossed like too many boundaries into red flag territory and it's not appropriate for like your therapist or like any professional person to be like texting you like hey like where are you did you go on vacation i just saw you changed your status that's just fucking insane and I know that, like, we have to, like, support small practices and everything, but sometimes that small business, they're kind of just doing whatever they want. Most of the time, they're not. I've seen so many small businesses that are run better than, like, more professional or, like, corporate businesses, but sometimes you have the small businesses that are literally just doing whatever they want, and I know that the person who posted this said that they live in India, so there's probably not as much, like, regulation or, like, standards of, like, professionalism in the mental health field, especially if she said that they, like, her country has just started realizing that mental health is, like, important as well. So, I would honestly recommend, like, maybe she could try online therapy instead or, like, from a person who's from, like, a different country, because then she wouldn't have to walk, and the person texting her wouldn't literally be living, like, I feel like that's already kind of a problem for your therapist to live, like, that close to you, because, like, the, one of the benefits of online therapy is that, like, your therapist could be in the same state, or they could literally be, like, five states away from you, and so it's honestly good to have that level of, like, detachment if she's trying to do, like, a more secretive thing, and she might be able to better get, like, the help she needs, but I love you guys. It's time for me to wrap up the rest of my evening and definitely make some good food and relax a little more. I want to take one more hit before we go. Okay. I'm so appreciative for you guys and so lucky to... I guess judge these assholes, reflect on the horrors, and exist in this space with you. I hope you guys have a good rest of your night or evening or whenever you're listening to this. Bye.